0: Welcome to the Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Thank you, uh, Jeff and Patty, for being here today.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. I mean, like we we were talking about before, I mean... (sighs) i'm really into baseball and i know how they used to be very big into the scouting and then they started doing kind of more number based kind of knowing all right well this pitcher does this and this and it sounds like i mean you were kind of the the leading the charge in the the horse racing business in that kind of sense
1: yeah we were we started almost 40 years ago and uh when they were apple twosies and you know the the calculator was a new thing And, uh, yeah, we were using real film. There was no video. The videos were like $200,000 for the kind of video. We had high speed film cameras with real film and we had to send the film. We would be at an auction. They would show the horses and sell them the next day. We have to send the films down to NFL labs overnight and then with couriers and bring them back and then project them onto a wall with a, with a graph on the wall and take measurements. Now it's all, you know, digital.
0: What was it? I mean, because you were an adrenaline junkie from what you're telling me, riding motorcycles, riding horses. I mean, where did the idea of I'm gonna do raise horses into the, the racing business come about?
1: Well, I got I had uh, law and business degrees from Harvard. I did them both at the same time and it was on the beginning of the that joint program. I, it was guys like me who were crazy and then i went for a blind date one day in may and we went riding at a rental stable and instead of falling in love with the girl i fell in love with the horse <laughs> <laughs> and i went, and then i started riding and riding and i i learned how to and i competed and i jumped big walls and shit. i got really deep mm-hmm. into it and then i said, you know what i i want to do this i want to work with animals i want to be outside and i had archibald cox was my my uh, thesis advisor for Harvard Law and Business, Archibald Cox, the guy from the Midnight Massacre with Nixon and the whole thing. That he was the lawyer and he, that resigned and the whole thing. He, and he, uh, I had to do a thesis on combining law and business, and so I went in there and it was like March and I hadn't done shit anything. And he says, "Well, how's it going?" I, I looked out the floor and I, I didn't something. He says, well, what are you interested in? And he, I, I looked at and I said, horses, and I thought he'd throw me out. And he turned around and he took out this big book, and he plops it down. His, his office was in the stacks at Harvard in the library. It was just way down in the middle of nowhere. And the dust goes up, and he says, this is the, the statute that governs horse racing in Massachusetts. No one's ever looked at it at this school. Why don't you do that? so i went crazy what i did really well i found out all kinds of great stuff i found out all kinds of corruption at the suffolk downs when their funny business with their their books and subsidiaries and all this other junk and uh and i decided that i was too big to be a jockey and i was too poor to own the horses but i could bring they were doing it the way they've been doing it for 300 years i could bring something other than eyeballing intuition i could bring management and science and then i got i got hooked up with uh, on the part-time with the u.s olympic sports medicine committee and uh i just i saw what they were doing and was reaction to the east germans coming on the scene and winning everything and I, with their science and i decided i could do this for horses anyway i was working at by then i was working at Citicorp in manhattan and uh, i was on my way to be an in investment banking international stuff and they had the uh the atrium of their brand-new building at 55th and Lexington was this huge, tall, like four stories high atrium in the bottom was the cafeteria. And all around the walls was some mural, huge mural of Pennsylvania farmland. And I was looking at it one day, and I said, what am I looking at it for? I could be living it. And within a week, I quit, and I rented a farm in Pennsylvania where I grew up, and I began. And I had this one horse and a baby, and I needed to break it. So somebody told me about this this jockey that would do that, help me with that. And that was, I called her up and she said she'd come. And then I was late coming there from my job. And so she wasn't there anymore. And I said, well, I'll pay you for your time. Please come back. And she said, but she gave me such hell. Oh, well, you can't do that to me. Rah, 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 baby, rah, rah. Anyway, that was Patty. And here she is. I don't know why she came back, but she didn't, thank God. So, oh, so Patty's been with you since
0: the beginning. Sounds like she's
1: been with me since the beginning. She suffered, and the first twenty years it was miserable, <laughs> it was awful. You know, we, we were building science and data and equipment and everything in the beginning. Everything failed, and the horses would be awful. And it was even worse before she got there. But she she kind of helped me because she brought the the traditional. So we went the traditional expertise. She'd been a jockey, and she was a successful trainer. She had, you know, she knew this stuff. Like I told you, I, I would. Look at the altimeter, but she looked out the window to see if we were off the ground. And that combination proved to be powerful. And by the time we finally got, we finally got a break. We were, you know, doing small time stuff. We finally got this new guy. He was from Egypt. He'd sold his company, his brewing company, and he had a four hundred million dollars. And he wanted to be in horse racing. He liked horses, and he wanted an edge. And he was re- He was one of the smartest people I've ever met, and a really good businessman. He had other problems, but. Uh, he was something else. And so he, he hired us to do it for him. And, uh, and so that was our chance, our big chance. And, uh, actually I should say before that we hadn't exactly not had anything. We got, we had a neighbor, George Strawbridge from Augustine stable, and he got curious. So he let us buy him a couple of horses. And the first two years we had back-to-back world champions for him. And then we worked with Ken Ramsey, who's won. The leading owner and leading breeder in the United States several times. He's a legend. And he asked me, he said, Well, come to I pitched him and he said, Come to my farm and look it over and tell me, give me a recommendation. So I went there. This is a good story. I went there and I uh, and when I came back, I analyzed it all and I told him he had a new sire. He was trying to make make this sire successful. And it was from his own line. It was unknown. It was unlikely to do squat. So he needed it to ha- sire a good horse. So I said, Take this horse, it's by your sires, a young horse, and enter it in the Belmont Stakes, which is the third leg of the big triple crown, classic race, you know, world renowned And he burst out laughing. He says, this is a man that hasn't won a race yet. And I said, yeah. He said, it's not fast. I said, yes, but it never slows down. Mm-hmm. I said, by the end of a mile, and in the United States, they almost never run a mile and a half. Everything's much shorter. So I knew when it went a mile and a half in the Belmont, it would be right there. So he did it, and the trainer was pissed. It was a big-name, famous trainer, and we went there that morning, and we were there for the race, and the trainer said, it's a command performance, and he was really pissed off this, that, and the other. And then the racing form the night before was talking about who might win and who was good in this, and then they said, and then there's the the jokers and the, you know, the idiots, and that was us. So they left the gate, and, of course, we're trailing the field, and I'm ready to hide under the table, right? And then it gets about halfway through, and the horse starts to pick up, horse starts to catch up. And the head of the stretch, he's really rolling. And In almost all races, they when it looks like a horse is passing everybody at the end, he's the one slowing down the least. They're all slowing down. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't slow down at all. So he's flying by. He caught up. He might have won, but he didn't have enough space. It should have been a mile and three quarters. Anyway, he was I think he was second or third. So now instead of a maiden, he had a horse that was stakes placed in one of the biggest races in the world for his sire, his young sire. For grade one. A, A grade one stakes. I think he was second. Anyway, just to prove it wasn't a fluke, he went to Louisiana, Louisiana Derby, and he did it again. So that's it. He hired me. So now I had those two under my belt. And then the Egyptian came along, and he invested $40 million. And by the time we were through, we turned it into $64 million. And he had, that was before he got American pharaoh. Who was worth at least 50 million dollars and was the first triple crown winner in 37 years and we had organized the sire we had bought the dam of the horse we had participated in it coming along and so that was kind of like a high point point. and then he he had done he had won everything he had made several sires and he had a triple crown winner and then he had other other business problems and personal stuff going on and he just disappeared so he's gone now but that What's was the a ride. That, that was our chance. And that's why we really proved it. So now we don't have to tell people it's a theory. We say we've already done it. We've already had three or four world champions. What's and we worst? don't buy that many. And the average price we spent throughout the whole thing was the average at auctions. Most new players come in and they buy million-dollar horses. And they buy all the most expensive horses, 700,000, 800,000. And we didn't do any of that. None of it. Our average price was 155000 Not what these uh, everybody else was doing that was trying to come in and buy the game. And, uh and we bought a lot of fewer horses than a lot of these stables did, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. So everybody what, thinks. What, you know, what's
0: the pricing place. of it all? Like, so how does it work to Like the proceeds of a win? Is it, you have the owner, you have the, the, owner,
1: the... the, the purse is divided up about depending 10 to 15% of the owner, Ten to fifteen percent of the jockey, depending on how famous and how good and how wonderful they are. It's
2: not ten percent, 15 percent of the trainer and the jockey. Okay,
1: fifteen and fifteen sometimes, sometimes less, but and the rest goes to the owner. Gotcha. And but uh the main thing there is, if you want to, if you want horse racing and not have to spend a lot, or if you actually want to make it into a business, you have to have a stable. Because mm. you, know, you know, one or two horses is like a lottery ticket. You maybe you will, maybe you won't. So it, it's fun. And you can lose less money and do better if you're really good at it. But if you're, if it's a business, it has to be the size of a stable. And to do that, it's like most professional teams. It's not cheap. But that doesn't mean you can't participate in, uh, and and uh, for a lot less than other people. I mean, you know, some people are paying through the nose, and other people are almost paying nothing and playing the game.
0: Well, when you know, you're, you're starting it out, I know you talked about, like, the um, – the US, I think Olympics like that trying to bring you on to kind of dissect everything. So and you had to have a second job. So it was a second or the I guess the job. Was that helping pay for this opportunity? Or were you getting paid by the US government and
1: then kind of like, No, my other started? job paid for all the research. Okay, it did I'm, I did. You know, I had degrees in law and business and I was I actually did a leverage buyout among other things. I earned a lot of money in my day jobs. And I spent every penny of it, or most of it, on the research and the farm, the horses.
0: So was there a time, I mean, was it American was it before then? Or when was a time where you're like, I don't need the other job to actually support all these these horses, bring everyone on, and not have to, yeah, it was actually supporting itself?
1: Yeah, during Ziad, I really didn't need to have a job by then. Of course, now I don't have Ziad anymore, so maybe I should have another job. <laughs> but... I also was running, I started and ran a charity for inner city teens in Philadelphia. I was talking about ADD, and I built that up into something special. I spent a lot of my money and time on that. I got it's professional cute. film people from Hollywood yeah. to work with teenagers and delinquent uh, in jail and homeless shelters and this and that to master an apprentice to make films about stories of their lives, kind of stealth, psycho drama. And it made a huge difference to those kids, the, where the, the population, 70% would be get pregnant or in jail or on welfare. 70% of our kids went on to college or jobs or arts programs. We won national film awards with screwed up kids that never passed anything. Uh, we're high school against university film schools because with crappy equipment, because our stories were about their lives, they were real. They weren't car chases and mm-hmm. shoot 'em ups and special effects.
2: Could I interject something back about the company, though, about EQB? Sure. Um, So one of the things I think that's important to realize is from from the very beginning, essentially, what we tried to do was we tried to not throw the baby out with the bath. And essentially, we pick out, you know, a great athlete. And then we... Ultrasound is heart, and we decide he has a, a elite heart, and then we go forward on if they're if they're at two year old training sales, we can do high speed film of their gait. But those those extra tools really put traditional horsemanship at a real disadvantage.
1: Mm-hmm. So if if you find like if we had guys who we really respect are great horsemen. And they pick five horses we can usually eliminate three completely unreliably at least sometimes four
0: and you said these processes or this equipment is basically patented under your own brand or is it
1: well it's we have some patents but they're violated all over the place because we published a lot of stuff on what it is and it's impossible it's really hard to, to enforce against what somebody does in the privacy of their own computer so but, yeah, mainly the, the, the edge is the database and the experience. I tell people, we can give people the instruction manual and the violin, but they're not going to play a symphony for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's it. Plus, you know, for like for the heart rates, the, the, the elite horse's hearts are bigger and stronger and different, even when they're babies, than the average racehorse. But you need a database. Why? Because an 1,100-pound, 10-month-old uh, filly, and a thirteen hundred pound, twelve month colt—you can't compare. Those are big yearlings, Jeff. Well, whatever, you know, whatever. You can't compare. They have to be the same weight, the same height, and the same age in days within thirty days, or you can't compare the heart data. You just get the wrong thing. You have to do that, and then know—are they within that group? Are they elite or not? And that, that means if you, if you do the math and the permutations, that means you need many thousands of horses so that when you see one, you're going to have several hundred that are at least the same age and days, height, and weight. And uh, so, you know, that, that we have. And also when you're looking at the films, I mean, I've been doing it for 40 years. I, I, I see things uh, that I've been trained to see that are awful, that are really important. But you can't see them unless you're looking with 500 pictures a second. I you know I know you can't because I see the horses with terrible things sell for enormous amounts of money at every auction. I know if they saw what I saw, they wouldn't be doing that because that horse is going to get hurt. He's not going to make it. Or if he makes it, it's going to be a short career.
2: The other common sense part of that is uh, an owner and a trainer or a jockey It's how how much money they make and how successful they can be is directly related to how many times they can take the horse to the paddock to race. And so by looking at the high speed film, he comes up with a clean, moving horse and they tend to stay sounder. In fact, much sounder
1: and they last much longer. So they earn a whole lot more money. So a horse that was may not be winning great races can earn seven hundred thousand dollars, whereas the average one's going to earn maybe thirty thousand dollars because he's going to go three or four races and then goodbye, or he's going sure. to do seven races and goodbye. It's not enough. Me i was also I think I tell people that, uh, you know, when I first started, uh, if you're going into a new field like we were, you know, everybody you go to all the experts, and most of what they tell you is wrong. <laughs> So you just have to have, you just have to do the, do the work.
2: It has gotten a lot better though. There, there are much better veterinarians, and
1: yes, partly because we published all that stuff. <laughs> I, I told you the stuff, like the heart rate meter. The experts told us the horses' heart rates were because their hearts were so big they would be going 120 beats a minute or something, and it, it turns out that their hearts, the like rest of the big athletes are down in the twenties, and they can go up to 250. And they can, that heart can change from 28 to 120 without looking like anything happened. Like just on a snap in your fingers, their hearts are faster more, and change faster and they're different. And when we first got our equipment to measure it and measure their heart and everything else, we were getting these wild results they told us, but they're not, they're true. When we were measuring the lungs, they, the Olympic committee would put a mask on a guy and put him on a treadmill and they would measure, try to find his VO2 max and the gases of CO2 and oxygen use and all that stuff. And, uh, so we tried that with the horses to see if we could do interval training and could we, this and that with the horses. And when we tried, we put them in a pool and we put a mask on them and so we could exercise them. And and we tried to collect the, the gases the way they did. And they used what they called a spirometer, which looks like a great big water heater. But there was too much gas. So, so we had to chain it to another spirometer. And there's still too much. Chain it to a third one, still too much in a few seconds. So finally, we used a weather balloon, so it was big enough to hold all the gases. And then we looked at each other and said, what the hell's wrong with this picture? How are they moving that much air? Why are they moving that much air? And it turned out because they cool themselves by panting like a dog. So their lung capacity is enough to cool this giant animal's core, and they're moving, a, you know, uh, weather balloon fulls of air through their, lo- you know, the, the, their oxygen capacity. The, wet, the, the interval training was a complete waste of time. They didn't need it. Evolution gave it to them, and they were spleen dumping themselves. They were, they were. They have a huge spleen, and they could blood dope themselves like the Olympic. The Russians were doing in the early Olympics with the red blood cells. They can put seventy percent more red blood cells. Bang! Right when they come out of the gate by when they get excited by wrenching their spleen. And, uh, and they got all this oxygen. And, it just, and interval training was a disaster because they would go lame. They can't take that amount of work. So they were sore. They were muscle-bound when we tried interval training on groups of horses. So it was really very different than humans. But mainly it was very different from everything they told us. So we had to just be really careful to say, how do you know whenever they told us anything? And if they didn't have the data from elite athletes, they didn't know. Because it's different than the average. That's one thing I learned from the Olympics, too. Elite athletes are different than normal. As normal is different than sick or injured.
0: When you look at kind of where you've come from, was it harder to build your community or build, like, the, the processes and the systems?
1: Well, because of my expertise and my personality, I think it was easier to build the systems, even though it cost a fortune and took forever. Uh, but I did it. You know, it was a pr- uh, it was a predictable process. Do the work. What was harder was to convince people in a very tightly knit, clicked industry when you're an outsider to do stuff differently or to trust you. Horse racing is, you know, notorious for rascals. Nobody trusts anybody, <laughs> and it's just it's really hard to get any traction. That was, and still is. I mean, even after everything I've done. I mean, I think there's an awful lot of people who would not use us because they're afraid. They don't know us. What,
0: what did you do? Somebody they don't know. What did you do? Like, was I mean, were you reducing your percentage of winnings if you won, or what were you doing to actually convince them to actually try you, give
1: you a chance? I tried initially. First, I tried by, you know, publishing and showing that we had phenom- you know, enormous databases and FDA clinical quality studies that prove stuff and i published it. and that didn't do much then i i focused on a couple of big clients to get world champions and then we had two world champions here back to back and then but none of that did it i you know i should have moved to kentucky and gone to all the cocktail parties That's what <laughs> I should have done. and then i would have they would have known me and then there may be someone and they would have found out what kind of guy I went so i was in a peace corps i was you know i'm a straight shooter the thing now
2: is is the the industry has changed a bit because of the uh, price of horses and things i think that and so what they do is they put together syndicates and some of the the entry-level syndicates i mean they sell a share or a half a share for like a thousand dollars so someone can get involved in horses and they'll have 200 of them and i've just Think and you know I've obviously been bouncing this off Jeff that it it puts us in a very good position because at least they have a reason for why why they are purchasing a horse and what's special about it and usually they have enough money to buy two or three or possibly four and then we're in a we're in the catbird seat because we can reliably one in four and a half come up with a horse that wins a lot of money and we can do it again and again and uh so it's just that's where i think our future lies at least at this point
1: and even the big the big player the biggest stables this past two years have been combining you'll see the name on some of these champions the when they're winning there'll be five big name stables as the owner oh, wow. I, I don't so they figure that, that way they can push sorry it is that say? is that where yeah is that where it's going where you're gonna to, yeah, to, to be it's pushed up the it's almost doubled the prices of a lot of the horses all that money but
2: they but don't it's actually, they don't
1: seem to care they just want to make sure they get a good the good horse
2: but it's actually what, where it has changed for us which would be good uh is that they don't even look at uh you know a middle market horse and believe it or not most of the really good horses come out of the middle market uh it's a huge but you have to be able to you have to people who are you know you can't like i say you have to be able to do the traditional stuff and then add on the technology and then it becomes you know then it's a very powerful tool. i always say because i'm i have a fairly good eye and uh what i do is i line up five horses i love and uh you know the gait analysis it comes along and throws out two the cardio comes along throws out one and then the vet comes out and throws out another With one of next
1: find a chip you know That scares people too because they say well why didn't somebody else want him?" one of the best horses i ever had no i didn't have a client to sell for it so i just bought it it was thirty-seven thousand dollars. his name was great attack he was by a new sire and nobody gave a damn about him. he would end up twice in the world championships and the second time he might have won but the jockey came off him in the starting gate in the sprint and spotted the field 20 lengths and the world championship sprint started 20 lengths behind caught up almost one anyway it was like third or something. So, but, but nobody, he was $37,000. He earned 700000 twice in the world championships. He, I couldn't sell him because he was 37000 I paid for him. I just, wow. no believed it.
0: Dude, what, I mean, so, it sounds like it's quite I'm the grind.
1: Because I was competing with him.
0: <laughs> it's, it sounds like it's quite the grind. So, what keeps you guys going and keep doing this? Because I would think, I mean, with all you've accomplished, I mean, there's a time that. Maybe don't you know, take as many horses, or just relax, or
1: yeah. Probably what I should do is just buy my own horses and deal with it. But I haven't. You know, once you do that, then you're competing with your clients. Then nobody will use you. So, it's do you think tough, there's a time
0: that you'll you'll either of you will ever retire?
1: I don't think I'll drop that in my and I'll get buried in my dog cemetery. But I will publish everything before I go.
2: <laughs> there's an old saying: Do something you love and never work a day in your life.
0: uh, uh, If if uh, we were talking in in five years from now, where do you see the company going? Where do you see you guys going?
2: I see us finding some, you know, a couple people who are serious about syndicating to, you know, to the middle market. I think I think the next market that is available to horses and sports in general are the people who um, have kind of been worked out of it because of costs and things. But it's a way for them to get back in. And I think the guy who's, you know, or the family or the woman who's got up, you know, they have, you know, they have good earnings, but they don't want to, you know, spend a hundred thousand on a horse. They can get in and and the upkeep is expensive too, and they can share the upkeep. And so these partnerships, you know, go, like I say, they go anywhere from five, you know, big names to a hundred, you know, and in between. And I just think it's a very, it's, it's the way the market has to go and and the industry has to realize. And I'm hoping we're on, the you know, we're in front of that curve because that puts us in a very good situation. But it's a matter of, you know, just understanding that the business is changing. And I'm sure you see that in other businesses. They start out doing one widget and have to switch into another widget. And that's kind of we have to that's what we're. You know really trying to organize and think about
1: also in racing there's a crisis right now there's too many horses get hurt but our horses you know too many horses die from injuries uh that doesn't happen with us we not just, as often it never happened because we just yeah. we don't pick horses we, we screen them out we don't we screen out the ones that aren't appropriate well they can happen We've had some injuries, but nothing like what's going on out there. I mean, you know, our horses race longer; they're safer. So that's another contribution we can make. Maybe somebody will figure that out. What's, and, uh, we're trying to invent some technology to pre- actually predict when the uh, breakdowns, the bone breakdowns, a non-invasive bone scanner, and that's another long story. Maybe that'll be where our company goes. That technology, we actually developed that and sold it to Johnson and Johnson as a non-invasive bone scanner, like 30 years ago for osteoporosis stuff and we can adapt we want to adapt that technology now to horses
0: if someone's looking to get into the game looking to to purchase a horse i mean is it best then to reach out to you guys directly and then get your guidance on finding a horse or is them finding a horse and then kind of reaching out to you or what's that process look like well i think first
1: of all it's just as important once you have the horse to have some advisors we do it for free after we buy the horse on where it goes when the training and training and managing the horse. So you, you can. I mean, a, a lot of trainers with secretariat wouldn't win a major race. So that's really. Important. I think it's important. They just come to us and let us advise them, uh, and we can put them into partnerships. We can put them individually. We can help them find the right trainer for the that horse and help them manage it to the right races. And you know, it and they still be in charge and have the fun of being the, you know. Being the owner and the runner of the thing, that's what I recommend. They come directly to us, yes. And and, and the best way to get that would be going to the website, I'm guessing. Or well, the website or... just changed from .com to .fyi, yeah. Or give us a call, yeah.
0: Okay, and yeah, the the website's um, in the show notes right there. So if you're thinking about getting and getting that, because what's the biggest rush, right? That that you guys get is it. At the championship, is it basically just seeing the the horse race for the first time? I mean, what's do you still get that that thrill?
2: I don't think there's any bigger thrill than watching your horse win. I trained for eleven years, I rode races, and I don't care what kind of race it is. Winning is everything.
1: So, yeah, he's gonna do it. He's gonna do it. Ah, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so it is. It's really, and you can have a lot of fun at both ends, and sometimes. I mean, I, I had one trainer. We had one horse that he was good on everything, but he really wanted to try out for the chess team. And then and not got, the track team, not the track team. <laughs> Anyhow, he, he, he had run. and We had found this race for him. And the trainer calls me up and he says, Patty, are you sitting down? I said, oh, no, don't tell me that guy got hurt. Oh, no. And he goes, no. Nope. And I said, well, well, do I have to sit down? he says, I think you better have. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, you sold him.
1: Nope.
2: <laughs> I said, Well, what happened? He
1: won. <laughs> yeah he was, He'd was been such a disaster.
2: He got out of the gate first
1: and got scared. Everybody was behind him. Everybody was chasing him, we think. <laughs> but it was a throw. Watching him get almost he oh, He's not going to do it. Yes, he is. No, he is. It, was it. it was so, fun. It was fun. You know, it's a vindication. Yeah. Every time that happens, it's a vind- I love it when we win the race and our horse goes. You know, fifty thousand dollars, and the horse that was second was seven hundred thousand. The horse that was third was a million two, and ours was fourth was three fifty. And they're all owned by the elite of horse racing. Uh, and we were twenty to one, and I knew, I knew we were going to win. Well, I yeah. love that, hey, but it's don't. still a thrill when it actually happens. You don't always know either. Well, oh, rarely you actually know, but <laughs> you know, I knew we had a shot, a real good shot. Nobody else seemed to think so because it didn't fit the. The the traditional thing, you know, didn't have the right daddy or something. So
0: thank thank you so much, Jeff and Patty, for being here. I mean I can definitely see you two have been working together for a long period of time. That that dynamic is a strong one right there. You have uh mm-hmm. just uh, positivity and you have Patty kind of pulling the reins back like she might have pulled back the reins um with some of the horses back in the day, but it's a great dynamic. And I mean you're giving it's I mean it seems like you're giving an opportunity for people that don't have a background in it, but are looking to get into the the racing game, and
2: We'd love I appreciate that. so
0: much. Yeah, I mean, if yeah, anyone's listening good. and thinking about it, please, please go in the show notes, go find Jeff and Patty. Thank you guys uh, for being here today.
1: And the website's changed. Dot F Y I, not dot com. That's just remember that. Perfect. All right, bye guys. Thank you so much yes, for this thank opportunity. You.